Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I'm Paul Edwards, and tonight we have the opportunity of exploring ACB's financial situation. Um, I'm, I'm excited about our guests. Um, we actually have three of them, uh, but we're going to take a kind of a gradual approach to getting to know all of them for a variety of reasons. And, and we begin uh, with the person who starts this whole exercise, and that is the president of our organization, Dan Spoon. Dan, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Paul. Glad glad to be here. It, I don't know if we'd call it an exciting topic, but 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 a very very necessary topic when you're talking about a, a nonprofit business and you know how do you make sure that you have financial security and uh, a good income stream for the future. Now, I actually find it pretty exciting just because of the the process that we use and the and the approach that we use, which to me is interesting. Yeah. So to begin with, Mr. Dan, who mm-hmm. who does the budget? Is it is it staff or is it the board or is it both? Uh, it's definitely both. And it goes through several different cycles. Uh, would you like me to kind of take you through the kind of the annual process? Um, Absolutely. Okay. <clears throat> so sure. So just uh, related to the budget. We really try to, you know, uh, analyze the year as it's unfolding, uh, both from the revenue side and from the expense side, and, uh, you know, make sure that we're kind of hitting our targets from the previous budget. So, I'll just, I'll start with our, our fiscal year runs from January through December. So, it's the same as the calendar year. And... Uh, we we operate based on the budget that has kind of been put in place the previous year. So uh, the the end of the budgeting process usually happens the first week in December of the previous year. And now we have a budget that we operate on in the current calendar year. And it's really important for us. We, we analyze our financials. Uh, we have a wonderful chief financial officer in Nancy Marks Becker uh, with some able assistance in, in Lane Waters and uh, Erica Keller. And they uh, kind of keep track of our financials every year. And so kind of as we go through that calendar, we month to month see how our revenue and expenses are coming in. We uh, every quarter, we review our financial statements uh, with our budget and, and finance uh, committee, and then we share those with our board of directors. So, we're about ready to, uh, we're actually going through that process right now for the first quarter, uh, which ended at the end of March. The other thing that happens in March is each year 
is we have a certified public uh, accounting audit of our financials from the previous year to make sure that we are following all the generally accepted accounting principles. So we have an auditing firm that come independent auditing firm that comes in and evaluates our financial statements every year, both our balance sheet and our income statement, our 990 that we use to file with the federal government that assures that we've got what we, they call a clean audit, which is there's no significant material findings of fact that we have, you know, not followed general accepted accounting principles. So that happens every March in our uh, budget and finance committee, which is chaired by David Trott, who's our treasurer, and Kim Charlson and Pat Sheehan. Uh, Kim, the immediate past president, Pat Sheehan, are on that committee as well, as well as myself and Eric uh, uh, Bridges, our executive director, and Nancy Marksbeck, our chief financial officer. So we review that audit and then present the approved audit to uh, our board of directors each year for for review, the, the audit report. And then we continue to kind of analyze our financials as they come in through the year, both from the revenue and budget side. So as Nancy gives us the quarterly um you know, statements, you will see how we are performing, what are our actuals, what is our year-to-date budget, and what is our total year budget. So, things in, as you, as everyone can imagine that, that's uh, familiar with the American Council of Blind, our revenue does not tend to come in on a uh, very kind of straight line basis, right? So, so you know, January and February can be fairly weak, or, you know, months for revenue. And then here comes, uh, you know, membership and, and sponsorships start coming in for the convention. Then we have a significant amount of fundraising uh, events during the convention. And so, you know, things will be looking pretty good and by that July time frame. And then there's not a lot of revenue activities the second half of the year other than our thrift stores. And so it, it's very important to not just think of your budget in a straight line, but really budget when your revenue is going to come in month by month, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... So we kind of lay that out. And then when it gets to um, the, the beginning of the fourth quarter, so in the September timeframe, we send out to all the ACB committees uh, and ask them, you know, what kind of uh, money they will need to run their committees for the following year. And Nancy, our, our CFO, Nancy Marks Beckard, and Eric Bridges, our chief, I mean, our executive director, they both take uh, some time and review the budget that's in place, uh, you know, and how it is performed through the first three quarters of the year through, for, through September. And based on that, with projections that we, you know, know are, are coming, if we have projected grants or, uh, revenue streams. Uh, we, we will then project the revenue and the expenses. And Nancy and Eric put the first preliminary budget together. And then it's their responsibility to have a budget ready to review with me as the president by the uh, usually about the 15th of October, about halfway through October. So then when, and then I kind of take a, a, 
a look at the budget with Nancy and Eric, challenge their assumptions. Uh, we have a discussion, make some alterations with the goal being that by the end of October, we, the three of us have kind of agreed on the, the budget for the next fiscal year. Then we then present it to the budget and finance committee with David, Kim and Pat right now. And there's a whole nother round of going through the budget and where are the numbers coming from and what are the expected revenue and why is, why did this expense go up and why did this expense go down? And, and a lot of those conversations that usually takes, we do two calls for that one for the revenue side, one for the expense side. So the goal is to have the, the budget reviewed by the budget and finance committee by the end of October and then we typically schedule by, yeah by mm-hmm. the end of november they're done no, no they're they're done probably end of october to middle of probably middle of november i would yeah. say and yeah. then we typically then have two um budget calls with the full board uh with eric and and nancy present and we again review uh the revenue on one the expense on the other as well as the third item that we review now is we have a separate budget for the convention both the expense and the revenue side of the convention so all three of those documents are reviewed by both the budget and the finance committee hopefully by the end of october and then by the middle of february where we're on to the board with the goal being what we've learned is it's better if we can get it all put in place by either that end of November or first week in December, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just, so that's kind of the process and uh, you know, there's sign offs kind of every step of the way. So it's, it's not just a one and done. Uh, you know, we start with the staff, then involve me as the president, then the budget and finance committee, and then finally the full board. And it's, it's some very, You've been there, Paul. I know I have. your history, <laughs> and it's it's uh, there's some very uh, you know good uh, conversations and 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 good questions and and you know thoughtful responses, and it's it's a give and take. It's not a it's not a science, but an art. You know, to some point in time, so, to set a good budget. Yeah, what is now called the budget and the finance committee used to be called the budget committee. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but in the in in the old days the budget committee co- consisted of three board members the treasurer and two others mm-hmm. and and didn't have nearly the um, n- nearly the number of folks who are on the budget finance committee now do you find the the approach that we're taking now with more folks involved in in, in that committee better no, it's still really the same people. I mean, it's it's still the treasurer and two others from the board and then uh, Eric and Nancy and myself. So those are the additional people. Um, so, yeah, I don't know in, in the day if it was just those three and you didn't have the president and executive director and the CFO, but those are the other three that we add. Yeah. Usually, usually the president would have been there. I know I always was. Mm-hmm. And the... Um, and we're non-voting members, but we're yeah, yeah, we're just providing input because we've prepared the pre. You know, we're the ones coming right. with the budget, yeah, to answer any questions. Yeah. So the, the so the three members the the, the three members of the board mm-hmm. then are are the are the only folks who, who who actually vote on or 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 can uh, agree to changes. Oh, right, that approve the budget out of the budget right. committee. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
So where does <clears throat> where does the annual report fit into all of this? The annual, if it does, sure. Uh, well, the annual report, uh, of course, provides our financials. So typically, after we're done, and I should have should have shared this with as I walked through the process, but that typically happens in the uh, May June time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I will say we're trying to get better at having it in the May June time frame. There were several years, in, you know. Um, with resource limitations that it really didn't happen till the fall sometimes. But the goal is for the previous uh, fiscal year, once we're through the audit and we have the 990, then we would like to go ahead and move forward with the, uh, with the annual report. And Tony could speak to that uh, when he comes on it. It was a little bit different this year. Um, businesses are kind of changing their annual report. You know, it used to be those kind of glossy, you know, semi-magazines right. with pictures and graphs and, you know, all of that good stuff. And it's now, it's almost now going to something um, almost akin to a, uh, I'll say, a, a really jazzed up brochure kind of look is the way mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of businesses are going to. Because I think they found that, in today's society, people just didn't, they weren't going to sit down and read 50 pages, you know? Well, I yeah. think that's fair. Yeah. Like, we used to always try to make our, our annual report relatively short, but I don't think, mm. I don't think it's nearly as well organized perhaps as, as yours is. Mm. Um, so, Mr. Tony, are you squared away? Not yet. Um, Am I unmuted right now? There, we can hear you, you, Tony. There we go. All right, excuse me. I just got off the train, headed home to my home in Baltimore. And uh, thanks, Paul. Now that the CDC says I can remove my mask in a safe place, I'm going to do that so I can talk to this. Yep. But yeah, we are working on the annual report right now, actually. So our hope is to get this out in June. Uh, Both Kelly, who folks know, does our graphic design as well internally. So she's helping design it. We have our new communications manager. So, you know, the annual report is, is a forward-facing document that a lot of people, you know, it's easy for folks to get kind of lost in a form 990 that is the IRS form. They can be rather lengthy for nonprofits of our size. So mm-hmm. the annual report is a nice, concise document that it'll show our financial statement overview. So it's a good way for people, you can go online and probably find our annual report from last year We'd be happy to send you an accessible version of it. But it provides that 30,000-foot overview of what is our revenue and what are our expenses. You know, did we fare well for the year? And then it provides a bit of a narrative on the key programs. As, you know, as a charity, a nonprofit 501c3, uh, we have a certain mission to fulfill. And so we want to make sure all of our donors that mission is spelled out and that, you know, the money that's being given and donated goes towards those program costs that we try to map out in the annual reports. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Um, so, Mr. Dan, if um, I, I know that at, at conventions and at board meetings, there generally uh, is an opportunity for the treasurer um, to provide um, to provide input to the membership on what our current financial situation is. 
But I think that the fi- that, that, that the way that the financial situation operates now, and, and I'm not sure whether it's going to be you, Dan, or, or Tony who wants to talk about this, is, is a lot different from the way that it was in my day. In my day, um, you know, we, 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 had, we had board reserves and we had some, um, some rules about using them. We had general operating funds. We had scholarship funds. But, um, but now I think you've added uh, another whole component, which is an endowment. Um, so would you like to, to, to tell us about how ACB's um, funds are organized? Sure, I'd, I'd love to t- talk a little bit kind of about the, in, in really the, you know, and, and everybody always wants to talk about the, you know, the income statement, your revenue and your expenses. But really, I, I believe one of the key measures of how you measure the health of an organization is your, your balance sheet, which is basically, you know, the, the instrument that tells you your accumulated wealth, you know, what, what are you kind of worth? So it's, it's all of your your assets, uh, you know, everything that you own, whether it be stocks, bonds, cash, buildings, furniture, whatever that might be, uh, minus your liabilities, which is, you know, everything you owe. Maybe you owe, uh, you know, some vendors or you owe for a mortgage or those type of thing if I put it in somebody's, you know, um, home situation. So the net of those two is really your your equity or your your net worth. And so, um, we, you know, historically, uh, and, and we've had ebbs and flows, but historically inside of, of ACB, we will have the opportunity where an estate comes in, uh, you know, thanks to, you know, a, a wonderful bequest from someone. And we have traditionally uh, at times had to kind of use that to, to maintain the day-to-day operations of the organization. And so what we tried to put in place, a, a we did put in place, uh, I guess it was two, three years ago now, it would have been uh, February of, of 2018 at the end of uh, Kim's administration, uh, working with then the development director, Tom Tobin and David Trott and Mitch Pomerantz and, and others from our financed group. We worked at putting together a policy for how we would handle uh, estates and bequests going forward. Uh, And what this policy called for is that we wanted to establish a legacy endowment fund. So if we were, you know, people were kind enough to leave us, uh, you know, um, some funds in their last will and testament with the idea that in perpetuity, they would make a difference for the American Council of Blind. We wanted to be able to honor, honor that legacy request and, and create an endowment. And so what our policy called for was first, we wanted to take a conservative point of view that most important is to always have uh, board reserves on hand. So we felt like it was important to have one year of operating expenses in our board reserve, which is a, a second kind of um, 
investment account that we have. So we have basically three investment accounts. We have the original endowment account, which you're talking of, Paul, which the primary money for that is for our scholarships. There's also some, uh, you know, Buell Fund money and a few other things, uh, DKM money. But the vast majority of that money is uh, is dedicated to, you know, people who've who've given us bequests related to scholarships. And And, stop, 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 stop. Sure, I'll stop. Let's let's explain Buell Fund. Okay. Um, So, Mr. Buell or Dr. Buell worked for the California School for the Blind and was... uh, their their kind of athletic director and left us some funds that were specifically designated to be used for games and sports unless it's changed. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And I think that is about uh, I think somewhere between eighty five and ninety thousand uh, dollars that's in the Buell fund. Mm-hmm. And usually the the four or five thousand dollars that that fund earns every year. Uh, kind of goes, typically it goes to promote, um, uh, like you're saying, kind of athletic or exercises events associated with the convention. So, you know, there's, you know, some of the, you know, the the sports fanatics luncheon used to be supported through that. Uh, You know, when we've, um, uh, you know, done things with a, you know, kind of a, a, an athletic walk to promote things. The Buell Fund has supported that. Mm-hmm. But when my wife is very familiar with it because typically the room where they've done yoga or exercises and all yeah. that, those events are sponsored by the Buell Fund. Yeah. Okay. So that's then, kind of the purpose of that. Mm-hmm. And then you talked about DKM, just for folks, tell us what that is. All right. DKM is Derwood K. McDaniel. And over time, there has been money that has been raised uh, through the Derwood K. McDaniel Fund, and that money typically goes each year to pay for a first-timer to attend our convention. One is selected east of the Mississippi and one west of the Mississippi, assuming we get a good, you know, a, a, a viable candidate from each side of the river. And those folks get their expenses paid to, you know, travel, lodging, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, per diem, uh, all their expenses to attend a, a first, uh, their first ever convention with the American Council of the Blight. And so that's what that, that fund goes to pay for those two. Um, those two participants, those two scholarship winners. Uh, So that's the DKM fund. We also, just inside of that, also have some money that is in our um, life membership fund. So Mm -hmm. again, each year you'll hear at the opening uh, session that several people get honored many times by affiliates. It can be even an individual gift uh, that folks will donate uh, $1,000 to ACB to honor a life member. And these uh, money from these life members go into a life member reserve, which uh, has accumulated over the years. Actually, when we started the Legacy Endowment Fund, the first uh, $75,000, kind of the seed money to get that started, was approved by the board out of the life uh, member fund, where which had accumulated, I think, to about $150,000 or something like that. So those... 
those are kind of, like I said, the and, majority of that money is in the scholarship fund, but there is a few other endowments that are part of that first endowment. And, and in case anybody's interested to become a life member of ACB, costs a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, $1,000. Yeah. And we'll have chapters or affiliates that yeah. will, uh, you know, recognize longtime members for their service, as well as individuals who will just recognize, you know, somebody they feel has, or some even self-fund, you know, so yeah. there's multiple ways that that can happen. Mr. Um, Treasurer, how's the, how's the president doing with this stuff so far? He's doing pretty good. One thing I might add to the life membership fund, because I always want to encourage people to become a life member is that we will also break that down. You can pay like four payments. Your life membership won't be granted until your $1,000 is paid, but like you can break it down to like $250 a year. It'd be nice if it's $250,000, but $250 a year. So, you know, we do encourage people to become a life member and show their love and support for ACB. It's a great way to do it. I'm one of them. Congrat! Yes, you are. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so that's yeah. kind of the endowment fund. Hey, welcome, David. Uh, and um, I finally met. I hope y'all can hear me. OK, I'm on my iPad. I could not get through on my phone. Oh, you sound Wait. good. Yeah. Yeah. Great. You're, you're fine. And then the and then the second kind of investment fund is really our board reserve. And there again, we try to keep uh, at all you know, at all times, if we can, one year of expenses in our board reserve. That's our goal. So uh, right now it's a little over a year worth. Uh, it, it dipped down when we had the initial, uh, you know, COVID crisis of uh, 2020, but, but mm-hmm. quickly recovered. And then the way our legacy endowment policy works, because our goal is ultimately to get to two times uh, our, our, expenses in our board reserve. But the way our policy works is that if we get a bequest of larger than $25,000 and we have a, um, and we have at least a year's uh, worth of expenses, uh, money in our uh, board reserve to cover our expenses, then 75% of the bequest goes into the legacy endowment fund and 25% goes into the board reserve until it's built up to two times our annual operating expenses, at which point 100% will go to the the legacy endowment fund. If the board reserve has had to dip down because we have had some sort of a crazy situation like a a pandemic happen, then if we get a bequest, 100% of the money goes to the board reserve till it gets to uh, one year's uh, operating expenses. And then the remainder is split 75-25. Got you. And yeah. our annual budget now is about, what, 1.4, 1.5 million? 1.8. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and luckily through, uh, you know, some really, uh, you know, nice bequests we've gotten the last few years, uh, we are now between the three, um, the three reserve funds. We, I think the last statement I heard from, um, from Nancy at the end of April, our combined uh, assets were 5.2 million in those three funds, which is, I think, probably... Um, 
you know, at least in my 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 time on the board is is the healthiest by far that we've been from a well. From I, a I I think it's the healthiest ever. Yeah, I think you know when I was president, I we had maybe three, um, maybe a little less, mm-hmm. um, and 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 there's certainly been times when we've had considerably less than that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, I mean we we were. Well, I, I I've been on the board when we were, you know, getting down there below a million dollars total worth, net worth and getting getting pretty worried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it it. I think the approach that the board is taking, and 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 maybe you can comment on this, David, as as the treasurer. Um, the approach that the board is taking to try to build up, um. In, in enough money to keep us out of storms is probably a pretty prudent approach. It, it is. And let's go back a minute, though. We'd be remiss if we didn't thank Chris Gray and Mitch Pomerantz for getting us through some extremely tough times in ACB. Uh, mm-hmm. They really did. Yep. Uh, during, during Kim's administration, we began to grow. In a few minutes, if you'd like me to, I'll give you the growth area from, say, 2016 to now. But, yeah, our approach now is we, we're moving forward. Uh, we have the opportunity that, that Mitch and Chris didn't have in that we've gotten bequests that we didn't have to spend the day we got them to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a lot of thanks to our great membership and our great sponsors. Uh, our membership has done a yeoman's job during the pandemic, especially. Uh, I'll touch on that in a little bit about money. Uh, they've done that. And. Then, then we we actually got real lucky last March. Got an old friend back in Tony. Tony came on board working. I mean, he didn't stop. Uh, a lot of the work he did helped to get us through the pandemic. And we not only got through the pandemic, we're thriving. We're, we're doing quite well right now. And I'm excited about it. So if we, if, if we pause for a second and... And look at the at the at the five point two million that 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 we now have. Um, some of our members will be saying, "Yeah, but when we've listened to board meetings and that kind of stuff, you guys have been adopting deficit budgets. So if we have all this money, how come you're adopting deficit budgets?" Well, the budget is not actually predicated on the money we have. It's the money that we will take in versus the money we're spending. That you, and and yeah. that, that is truly, truly a different situation. Fortunately today, uh, like last year, let's take last year, for example. Uh, Dan and I had a real gloom and doom look at things because we were scared. We didn't know which way it was going to go. Uh, we did adopt a negative budget. But by the end of the year, we were in black, uh, well over $100,000. And, it, you know, it's, it's the way we do, we do business uh, with the budget. Uh, we have the different things, the different uh, programs and services that we do. Of course, we have our rent and our staff and that kind of thing. Uh, the Braille form and ACB radio. All this stuff costs money, and you have to allocate it for our auditors, how it's spent. And then we look at our income. And... That's uh, from sponsors, the convention, all the great work our members do, and then the great work that Tony and Eric and staff do. 
to bring in sponsors uh, for the convention and that kind of thing. And we look at that and we know now that, hey, if, if you're $50,000 short, you're, you're not going to lay off the staff member. And that's, that's the great thing. Now, our goal at the end of the year is to be ahead. But what we don't have to face the realities that we had to face back in 2011, 2012, when had negative budgets with nothing there to replace it. Oh, I remember. <laughs> I remember. I've, I've been on the board where, where we've had to let people go. So, Paul, if we could, let me go over a few figures from 2016 to now. I want more people. I think they'll get excited. Um, in December 2016, which would have been the last year of the Kim Charleston administration, our net worth was $2,211. I'm, I'm sorry, $2,211,000. <laughs> oh, she, she was in until 2019, David, so don't cut her oh, short there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> then we she did a great job. Yeah. 2017 is when I came on board as treasurer. Uh, we had $2,469,000. Uh, December of 2018, we went over $3 million. I'll round them off at this point. December 2019, we were over $4 million. And in 2020, we were at 5042000 And already right now, we're at 5269000 So we have managed our money great, great, in a, in a great way. Our investment team and our investment committee are just doing a great job. But the main thing is, is the buy-in of the membership. If you go back and you look at the fundraisers from last year alone, um, the auction, highest year ever, holiday auction, high. Uh, the year-end event that Cindy did, just a great event, never had been done before, raised over $10,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Braille Forum raffle was up. The walk met its goal, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, MMS uh, actually overachieved a little bit. So the membership is buying in because they're seeing the benefits through the community calls and through the other events that we have. Mm-hmm. And, and we're able to communicate this Back to the membership. They're not in the dark anymore. And I think, I think in, you know, informing and educating people to what you have helps you to know we're growing something that's benefiting us. And I think that's the great reason for the buy-in. But when you look at in a five-year period of doubling your net worth and also having a pandemic during that time, you, you just, from my position as treasurer, you look at that with, with a, a sense of pride and love that I just can't explain. It's, it's just great. Mm-hmm. So if we, if, if we compare where we are to, to, to where we used to be, we, we are, we are clearly in a place where um, e- even if, if a lot of our funding dried up, we, we would be in shape to survive for several years Um and 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 could move in in some new and different directions, um, but one of the questions that I think a, a lot of folks are curious about, um, and and I've been sort of waiting till Tony gets situated at home. I don't know how close you are, Mister Tony. Safe and sound in my home office now. Excellent. So. Tell me a little bit about sponsorships and how they've worked and, and other efforts that you guys are taking in terms of 
of of trying to build uh, an ongoing um, uh, revenue stream for us. Well, one of the things we've really been focusing on, and this goes back to a lot of work that the board did in strategic planning um, that, you know, uh, both Kim and then Dan in transition, uh, you know, really helped sort of bring to the forefront in terms of the organization and, and what are our main priorities from a program side. I mean, the strategic plan also includes operations and fundraising, resource development as well, but critically around the programming, because when you look at, at and it turns, what what is the output of the organization in terms of the programming that we're doing? And, you know, uh, sometimes, too, when we talk about deficit budgets, I, I like to think of that as, as, you know, investing in the future sometimes. Right. Uh, and I think when you look at what was the return on our investment, for instance, this past year uh, alone, with the work that membership that Cindy did, you know, we've had, since the pandemic started, over 3,700 events. Um, we've had an amazing amount of advocacy that the... the in, in, energized enthusiasm around the advocacy committee. So the output is significantly increased. Um, and, and with that, uh, you know, it, in a sense, can put you on some, some nice growth strategy. So one thing we're looking at in terms is, is how can we manage our growth from a revenue perspective? Because a healthy nonprofit is going to have a pretty diversified portfolio of, of income, you know, income that's coming in. You know, we have our investment mm-hmm. portfolios. But we also, too, sort of have our slate of revenue that comes in through various ways. You don't want everything to be relying on corporations or corporate grants. You don't want everything relying on, on federal grants. Um, you, you want to have a good diversified, uh, in a sense, sort of plate, if you will, of, of how that revenue can come in. Because that's going to that's gonna help you weather, for instance, last year. The one area we were down last year was in corporate giving because our key area of sponsorship money that comes in through corporations is tied to our convention. And the main time that we pull in these corporate sponsorships is the April, May. And if folks take a a time machine back a year ago, corporations were extremely, extremely conservative and and really unknown of what the future would hold. Mm. So we saw a dip in that uh, sort of corporate philanthropy from when you look at when we were in Rochester, right, in terms of our corporate sponsorship money coming in. Uh, we are we are ticking to, to I believe go above what we raised in corporate giving last year. Uh, that's sure. still somewhat of a conservative. You know, we're still trying to be somewhat conservative. Understanding corporations are weathering a little bit more. Whereas, alternatively, with what David said, the individual contributions was through the roof. People wanted yeah. to give because they saw the value in the organization. Again, that ties to the output, right? They're seeing value in, in the program work that's being done. And so we had an enormous, enormous groundswell of individual donations and giving. We've transitioned ourselves to focus more on uh, online giving. Uh, you know, the, the uh, end of year, New Year's celebration that Cindy and the Community Hope put on was a good sort of test and foyer into that. Uh, our return on investment is, is, is many, many fold better than when we do the traditional. We're still going to do one annual appeal that's a print appeal that goes under mail. But when you look at the, again, talking about the return on investment of also, too, what energy do we put in versus what money do we make that can go directly to program dollars? You know, that online giving has been an area that we've seen a lot of success with. We're going to continue to do that through multiple online campaigns throughout the course of the year. Um, We're also looking at ways to tie in advocacy more to the corporate sponsors with the partnerships we have. Uh, folks are going to be learning about, and if folks are free on the evening of July 17th, join us the night before the convention starts for our kickoff virtual event for the Get Up and Get Moving campaign. This is a major campaign where we're looking at a, a series of advocacy issues coming out of the pandemic, and we're really working hard to, to lobby our corporate partners 
uh, to really come on board and help us not just in fundraising, but also to advocate and in-kind contributions. Uh, we're looking as well to significantly increase our foundation support as a result of these campaigns like the health and wellness, because we've really been looking at what are foundations giving for now. The pandemic really made a lot of foundations align themselves and their priorities and sort of shift the way uh, the George Floyd and issues with equity uh, in, our, in our communities and our environment has really raised a lot of conversations. So foundations are looking uh, at ways they can impact on much more strategic level, the same way we're looking to program wise, how we can be more strategic. Foundations are doing the same. So we're looking at a significant threefold growth in our, in our foundations. We are uh, on track now, I think, to hit the target budget we have for this year. We have, we have a stretch goal that's much more significant as the get up and get moving campaign rolls in, but I note that that campaign is going to roll over three years as well. So we want to create partnerships with foundations and corporations that are sustainable over, over just more than one, one grant type year. Uh, but we create these relationships that can be more long-term in terms of our development. Cause again, we want to be diversified, but we also want to be sustaining as well for the long-term. So those are, I think a few of the strategies we've been putting into play uh, and sort of fine tuning our donor sort of engagement on across the corporations, individuals, and foundations, and really trying to tie it with the strategic plan for the organization and, and putting us on a track because uh, the reality is if our output continues and we continue to grow, um, that's going to be more demand, right? As we increase our, our supply and, and our reach and, and engaging people, we've seen this with the rise of the community. Uh, right. It, it will it need to increase in our output of program, which means we need more staff resources. But what's great is the same way that we grow in terms of that side, it's like that return on investment again. We're going to hopefully, and, and all indications are we've been seeing this, uh, see an uptick in terms of individual donations that can help sort of carry the wave, if you will, help us ride the wave as we, as we grow over the, over the future. So. If if, Tony, we're, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. No, go ahead, Dan. And I was going to say, we're seeing, you know, the real evidence of this now. So, you know, by having a, a membership services program with, with Cindy and now uh, Colby as a, an assistant, you know, Colby's position was basically funded by being able to show what we were able to do uh, in the community event space and, and take that program with real data and uh, that, and that backed up our mission. And we're, we were able to present that to a foundation that then, then felt comfortable to, you know, uh, you know, grant us $40,000 for a position to continue to, you know, provide support for our community events. Uh, we're also seeing that in the area of audio description, where all of our work in audio description, we now have received both the grant from Google uh, a grant from Microsoft, as well as perhaps an agreement that's in the works right now with the National Park Service, all to help us uh, fund and promote audio description. So it's like as we are getting the, we're doing the work and we're documenting the work and we've got the data that backs up what we're doing. Now that's appealing to foundations to take that next step with us to continue to grow the programs. So, Tony, the question I was going to ask you, and I'm still going to, mm-hmm. is uh, certainly over over the, the the previous ten or well, let me put it another way: the time time that I was on the board, um, the the one the one area where where I felt we weren't doing as well as we could 
was in the in the area of grants um you know you, we we can debate a lot whether 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 mail-in programs work or whether they don't um I've I've always been a, a little leery of them. I, I think you've got to have a lot more money than we had when we were trying to run mail-in programs mm-hmm. um, when when we were trying to run them. But my question really concerns grants. <clears throat> Why do we appear to be more successful now with grants? Is it is it because is it because we've done a better job of selling what we're doing? To some degree, yeah. I mean, you, you sort of gain the success of, of recognition in some ways as, as, you know, as we continue to get out there and, and a case in point with like the health and wellness campaign, the Get Up and Get Moving campaign we're launching. You know, the community events, roughly 12 to 14 percent of these programs that, that are going on, if it's, you know, Leslie Spoon's yoga lessons, if it's mental health things, you know, they're tied to real concrete program things where, the, the foundations themselves are collectively gathering together and, and being much more strategic. Um, when foundations go through rocky times as well, and a lot did, I sit on a board for a foundation uh, as well, and, and it was a rough year last year for everybody. And, it, and it, for, for several years with the constant stock market correction, the bull market, then suddenly you get hit in the face with a, a, a bear that sneaks up on you and, and bites you in the market, you know, it's, it's been a roller coaster that foundations have been in a sense, trying to be much more strategic and smart with their spending. Some foundations are joining together and sort of these, these, uh, you know, sort of grant making funds, these larger funds that will Mm -hmm. focus on certain areas of equity, inclusion, diversity, these whole areas. And I think in some sense, it is going from the idea of a traditional charitable nonprofit of, Oh, give us money because we're out there doing good to we are working on a particular, what's our narrative? What is the campaign? And the Get Up and Get Moving campaign is, in a sense, I think, a, a test into that. And other nonprofits I've worked at over the years, uh, in my fundraising experience, we've had, ex- we've had positive ways of working with foundations to really build momentum and to build partnerships. Foundations like to see nonprofits like ACB working with other nonprofits out there for a common good in the public interest. And when you look at the work we do with a lot of our partners, uh, really in sort of being the, the intersection point, as ACB is known for bringing people together, uh, not just individual members, but our corporate partners. Look at Dan's, for those that had a chance to check out Dan's uh, fireside chat with the nonprofits uh, and mm-hmm. really bring the voices together. Uh, you know, I think that's also getting the attention of foundations as well. And they're recognizing the work we're doing. And, and as a leader in the field, I think we're beginning to sort of grow what's, what we call our ethos, our credibility. And that helps us a lot with foundations because they don't want to throw money to someone and know that they're going to go and waste it. Yeah, They want to return on their investment as well. So a question that some members raise and and, and I'll raise it and let, let all three of you take a a stab at answering it is that we're expecting our members um, to, to shoulder a pretty substantial burden in keeping our organization alive and, and that our convention, for example, has, has become a glorified series of fundraisers. So anybody want to comment on that? I'll start out with that one. Actually, I think that's a bit of misnomer, even though you see a lot about fundraising, we do give back in the fundraising area through, the RDC programs showing people how to raise funds for their for their own affiliates and that kind of uh-huh. thing. 
actually our fundraising uh the last number i had and dan you may have a more current one than i do uh was about 17 percent of what we what we actually raise in a year uh we actually ask less of our membership than say equivalent organizations to us um now one of the things that we do to give credit back to our members that they never see uh but it helps in in the grant area it helps us with the uh working with other organizations it's really great for tony because of our great work of our membership our officers uh we keep track of volunteer hours now and you heard tony mention in-kind donations paul and uh one of the things that we've done now we've we've exceeded one million dollars in in-kind donation uh because of the volunteer hours and the fact that we're keeping track and keeping track of the data but no at no time do we want uh, and I would hope nobody would ever feel pressured to buy an item at the auction or buy a raffle ticket or, uh, you know, whatever. We we want this to be strictly volunteer and out of the love for the organization. Naturally, we're going to do the ask uh, because we want to keep up. We want to keep our staff and, and grow the ability to advocate. We want to grow our ability for the community calls and that kind of thing that people really enjoy. So I think now that uh, I'm going to get with Tony and Dan and Nancy, uh, we need to do a revamp. You know, Paul, I think it might have been, it was either in your administration or Chris's administration. We actually did a value for dues, and it was $100 then. And I would yeah. say wrong, it way exceeds that now, you know, for mm-hmm. what, $5 in dues, you know, your value was $100. And with the community calls and all that we're giving back, I think we're far exceeding that now. So I, I'm, I'm happy with the route we're going. I hope nobody's not. And I'd be glad to sit down with them and, yeah. and talk to them about it, you know, on a one-to-one basis because we never want anybody to feel pressured. This is all, uh, you know, volunteering love. That's that's what it's all about. And uh, mm-hmm. we, we probably tend to overlook that sometime. And if we do, then, you know, we want to get with you and, and at least give you a good explanation and make you feel a little better if we can. I think it was my administration, um, but um, that, that, that did that, that value. And, and, and we understated things even then, because at that point, ACB radio was so new, we weren't, we weren't really including it. Um, So, and, and, and we've never charged folks for ACB radio. Um, Tony. Well, if I can just add, and and Dan, I don't know if you had something as well. Go Um, go ahead, Tony. Yeah. You know, and and about the value, I mean, we can give a a hard number of a value, but I think the one thing that's come out of this past year is, uh, for me, the overwhelming surprise of of knowing that people are finding significant value because there have been a lot of times that people have been giving where we haven't been out there like many nonprofits. I, I give annually and monthly to other nonprofits as well. Right. Um, and, you know, you get so much mail, you get so many emails. Um, I, I, I genuinely hope that people find a value. And I feel like that's been reaffirmed when we look at just for folks to tune into the auction this year that we, you know, we raised over $33,000 last year, blew through our past record of the auction by like $8,000 or more. Um, mm-hmm. But there's enthusiasm. People want to give to the organization. And I believe because they're finding value, especially during the pandemic, but that value is continuing because everyone says, you know, they want the community to continue and all these programs and activities. 
So my hope is that people are identifying the value that we're not going around. Uh, you know, I, I was a member of the Lions Club for years, and we had what was called the Tail Twister, who would go through a nickel and dime me at every Lions meeting. And you know, it was a fun. I loved being the Tail Twister. I loved being the Tail Twister when I had to be a Tail Twister. But we we have you know, it's been so humbling to to feel as a as a development director, we haven't really been hard, you know, forcing people to to give this past year. It's been so such a humbling experience that. And going back to what David said, for the million dollars, over 41,000 hours of volunteer time last year, 41,000 hours was mm-hmm. donated. And, uh, and huge it, thanks to everybody that gave their time and their money last year. And, it, and it's probably significantly underreported, too. That was, oh, yeah, and that's I a conservative so. number. And what was kind of interesting there is um, Tony and, and uh, team, I, I was fortunate enough to be on a couple of those events. We did, towards the end of the year, thank you calls to thank our members for all of their support. And what was really interesting is, you know, it ended up being really a two-way street that so many of our members called in and said, well, you're saying thanks to us, but we're saying thanks to you all. You know, we we felt isolated. We felt lonely. We felt like no one cared and ACB cared. You know, you guys, uh, you, the organization, ACB, all of us, we, we kind of came through for each other. And I think, you know, I believe ACB radio or ACB media, the podcast, the shows, the, the community events, uh, you know, we had $92,000 worth of scholarships we gave out this year. I mean, just over and over again, I think a lot of people are seeing value add from being involved in ACB. And I think, I'm hoping, I agree with David and Tony, I, I hope it's really being viewed as a two-way street. And and again, the that membership number, you know, David's pretty much right on. You know, our our, our annual dues of five dollars equate to like three percent of our budget. And right. and all the event fundraisers combined really end up equaling about sixteen or seventeen percent of the money that that the organization raises. So um you know, it's about equivalent to what we raise from our thrift stores, which we've kind of got two left, and they are really well managed now and are and are doing a good job. And then, um, but I really believe the corporate relationships, and I really like to think them of them as relationships, not not just sponsors, because I do believe pretty much each one of those um, sponsors has come out of advocacy efforts and relationship building that's taken place. And I I believe our members are getting a lot out of those relationships, whether it's improved access with the, you know, applications at Microsoft or, uh, you know, with, with the work that Google's doing uh, Cisco systems and, and, uh, and the phone systems that we've been able to advocate for it. It's amazing, Tony, right? Democracy live and the work we've done on voting, accessible voting. It seems like these sponsors come out of relationships, uh, cruise automotive and the autonomous vehicles. They're, they're seeing value in working with our membership. Um, you know, because it, they, it's amazing. Well, you know, Paul, but boy, at our convention now, so many of these sponsors have separate breakout sessions where they're wanting mm-hmm. focus group and they're wanting input from us and the Comcasts and the and the Amazons. They're 
they're developing their products based on input they're getting from our members. And so I'm, I really believe, I'm, I'm hoping if we work it correctly, it truly is a two-way street. And I'm hoping our members are getting a lot of value out of the relationships. Do you think that the sponsorships that we have mm-hmm. lessen our ability to challenge them if they're not doing a good job? Well, yeah, gosh, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think any kind, anytime you have a relationship, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. But I have seen, you know, our, you know, I think from our, you know, advocacy director, uh, Clark Rackful and our executive director, Eric Bridges, mm-hmm. if we need to, to go have a, a hard conversation with a Comcast or a Microsoft, I haven't noticed have us having any problems having those conversations. If um, I can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having, having having more. And then Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Tom. Well, I mean, yeah. Having worn Clark's hat for a few years, you know, um, it it is much easier for us sometimes to fix things when we, when we are in, in their room with them and in a good relationship, the carrot versus the stick. Right. And, and so in a lot of ways, that's been how we've been, you know, sort of established ourselves amongst our corporate partners. They know that we will work with them. And that there are times we need to be patient. And there have been times when we have been gristly with some of our corporate partners. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately, it has not damaged relationships, per se. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that it is, uh, you know, in a sense. And, and uh, there have been a couple occasions, I think, where the, you know, lawyers have been brought into rooms. But we've really gained good skills in, in working through the lawyers to get to the people that can really make a difference internally and, and working mm-hmm. to build internal champions. Well, you see that in a lot of the like uh, the audio description space, um, yes. relationships with some of our big, you know, partners in sort of the cable world um, have really helped foster champions internally that we have relationships with. I think that's an excellent area to point out because, you know, where where those corporations have gone with say audio description on streaming services is way beyond what the law requires. So those relationships uh, have led us to pretty much a a standard now that for almost uh, all the streaming services, 100% of their new original content, we're getting commitment, you know, stream after stream that it'll be uh, audio described. And I think part of that is our ability to pull those folks together, you know, um, Last year, when we had that prime time uh, session with Carl Richardson to right. talk to the different, you know, providers of, of audio description content, you know, after that that panel, they said, wow, you know, we've never all gotten together before and shared ideas. Thank you, ACB, for bringing us together. And now they're all back again this year. And so, I think we're we're kind of playing that chief influencing role in many cases, to get more than we would have gotten previously. So, it's a, it's a fine line, Paul. I can't mm-hmm. tell you that there's not going to be a situation there, but we have to be always aware of that. Yeah. David, you wanted to add something? Yeah. In, in a lot of the cases in the early going, uh, these sponsors came to us through disputes that we had with them over different things. And they came on board. They found out how easy it would be. And we now have people coming to us saying, you know, help us with this so uh and the other thing we got when you get to looking at staff members uh i'm a, I'm a fan of the staff I, I guess you can tell that but mm-hmm. uh 
Tony mentioned that, you know, he wore Clark's hat. Well, when he wore Clark's hat, we had a part-time guy who did a tremendous job, Tom Tobin, uh, that Tony put that hat on full-time. And we, we now have kind of a separation to where if Clark needs help, he pulls Tony in. But we have more and more ability to move forward and work with these people in, in a way that whatever area they're wanting, if they're wanting to talk to us about sponsorships, we got a finance guy. If we need to talk about something that needs done, we, we've got a guy for advocacy. Uh, you know, we, we've done so much in this area. We, we've had help with our websites and different things through these things. So it's, it's not all just about the money, but it's about the advocacy. And I don't really think anybody would hold us back at this point. I think we've got to the point. I'll give you an example of trust that we've built. Uh, the American Foundation for the Blind now has us administer their scholarship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're growing in so many different areas. It'd be just about impossible to touch on all of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah there a, go ahead. Oh, I, I was yeah. just going to say I had, an, I had a conversation with Kirk Adams yesterday, and he was just so pleased with, you know, the, the partnership we have in place with AFB related to the scholarships and, you know, uh, excited about them celebrating their 100th anniversary here this year and wants to be part of the convention. But it's that, you know, um, you know, him reaching out to, to us, it, it was kind of, it's a very, it's a very good place to be. And um, yeah, so it's, it, it, we just see this kind of phenomenon taking place again and again. I also just wanted to mention real quick, Paul, that we, uh, this was kind of the, the brainchild of, of Mitch Pomerantz at the end of his administration and then kind of carried on through Kim and that we've now really, got a very strong and functioning uh, advisory board uh, with American Council of Blind. And we now have uh, seven members of that board. Uh, We continue to grow and we have Aaron Patera, who's uh, the CEO of FMP Consulting that does a lot of uh, business project management, uh, strategic plan type of consulting. And she has already helped us with three or four different initiatives pro bono. We have Matt Hanley, who is a a attorney in the DC area that really works for us pro bono on lots of legal activities. We have Matt Aders from uh, uh, vice president from Vespiro and, and kind of a lot of work that he's been helping us with and, we have Brett Humphreys from Microsoft, and he's helping us kind of redesign our membership database and, and look, uh, you know, down the future for that. We have Lee Nasahi from Vision Serve Alliances that, that is helping us implement our traction operating system. Uh, and um, we have our uh, gentleman from uh, uh, from George Mason, uh, Bill Reeder, who's really helping us uh, through the development processes. And now we have what is uh, Mr. Cooper. I can't think of his first name, but uh, Charles Charles Cooper, uh, who really has a strong background in governmental affairs. And so it's it's these folks have come on board. They've all kind of joined the organization, and they are providing just lots of in-kind, um, you know, uh, contributions to the American Council of Light, as well as a lot of uh, advice. So, it's, it's been very pleasant to see how that advisory board has really shaped up here over the last several years. 
And, and there's that word in kind again, and I can't touch on that enough as treasurer. Anytime you hear the word in kind, um, that is a good or service that we did not have to pay for. So it has monetary value, even though we don't have to spend the money on. You know, one other thing, too, since we're in this area, you know, this didn't happen overnight. Um, I recall a board meeting back in 2003 or 2004 when Paul was immediate past president and Brian Charlson and I were sitting and we were having an issue with one of the versions of windows that was out at the time. And I remember Brian Charlson saying, wouldn't it be great if we could sit down with Microsoft? So, so the idea, uh, you know, was not necessarily even born then, but it was our goal. And look at the goals we've attained here. You, you hear what Tony's telling you, what Dan's telling you, this, this is great. You know, this is where we wanted to be in the 15 years. And it's a large part of it. I think, Dan, you may disagree, but I think it's out of the 2012 and 2017 strategic plans and our plan for growth and following. Yeah. 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 It's all building on itself. Yeah. So, um, so Rick, I'm going to ask one more question of these three and then let's see if we get some raised hands. Yeah. Then you want to twist some tails. I do. <laughs> well, Tony and I know how to do that. <laughs> so I've been, I've been sitting here waiting to say that, by the way. I, I, yeah. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> My question to all three of you is what one of the things that we've seen over the past two or three years is a growth in staff, uh, a, a, a clear uh, adoption of steering committees and, and organizational standards through the traction system. Um, but my question is, what's, what's the future looking like? What, what, are, what are the plans for the next two or three years? What, are, what would each of you say uh, that our budgets might look to accomplish over the next two or three years? So we'll start with the president first, since he's the the, the head honcho. <laughs> sure. Well, as as part of our uh, traction process is what they call the vision traction organizer, which is really your you know your your strategic plan. So it you mm -hmm. kind of lay out inside of that kind of uh, you know a one year target, a three year plan, and then a, basically a five year you know long term nice. goal. And and we we revisit that each year. And so and then that that one year that one year strategic plan breaks down into quarterly a, a quarterly set of objectives, which which are affectionately called by the traction process rocks. Mm -hmm. And so we have a series of rocks, uh, you know, that, that get established each quarter that get assigned to different members of the staff and membership that they're responsible for delivering, uh, you know, by the, by the end of that quarter and something like uh, Tony in, with the get up and get moving campaign, that's a three-year campaign. So that, mm -hmm. that will be a, a goal that will stretch out over three years, but he has rocks of particular objectives. He has to get accomplished for this say second quarter, one of which is getting ready to do that presentation at the convention to really formally launch the campaign and have the, uh, 
you know, the campaign's uh, committee put together and uh, Tony could speak to those type of things. So, mm-hmm. so we have those related to uh, fundraising objectives, uh, member, uh, member and friend and connection object, uh, co- objectives, uh, as well as staff objectives. So as we grow our programs, then how do we then complement that by additional staff? So again, we can't, we can't bring in the staff until we have the funding to support the staff as well as additional programs. So uh, it's kind of laid out there. And uh, I think we kind of cringe uh, as we look into the future for five years. Uh, again, we, our goal is to kind of basically double our budget within the next five years, whether we'll get there or not. Who knows? Um you know, our, our goal for this Certainly year, be nice. it would be really nice. And, uh, you know, as we continue to grow our, our legacy endowment fund, then part of that policy that I didn't mention is then 4% of that fund gets to move, moved back into operations each year. So as that grows and that creates more money that can kind of go back into, you know, reoccurring operations every year. So mm-hmm. we're, um, I, I, I'll let Tony speak as a staff member, but, you know, we're, we're a little, uh, you know, I, I'd say uh, intimidated and daunted every time we see the strategic plan. But, you know, our, you've got to have something to reach for. And we're really, uh, you know, trying to to map that out from year to year. And I, I feel really comfortable that the leadership team gets to meet together and meets uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, yeah. So go I ahead, think, Tony. Tony, yeah. Yeah, I think I think to add to that, yeah, because essentially, you know, my job is the the sort of person in charge of revenue, right? Is is how can we match the revenue that will scale up? And and when we put together the VTO that Dan was talking about, you know, we we really mapped through and said realistically, okay, if things go to scale, for instance, as our as our footprint of individual reach and our foundation support is more in aligned in certain ways. And, you know, realistically, you know, if we start getting a greater return on our own investment and foundation requests and grant requests and diversify our, our revenue streams, uh, you know, that can that can achieve the scale that we're, we're going to want to reach. Because the reality is uh, we, we need more support on the output side. For us to continue the output we have now, we have to, you know, it has been a growth year and we are working hard. The staff is working hard and, and as well as all the volunteers and our contractors like Rick and Debbie uh, are putting in a lot of hours, as everyone knows that has listened to any of the conventions and hear their voices all the time. So we're looking to ways that we can scale up to better support that um, so that we can we can grow and and grow for the long term, not just make it sort of a flash in the pan. So my my goal is to, you know, diversify the revenue. Uh, to be able to scale it up in certain areas, uh, to, to highlight things like the legacy that Dan mentioned, you know, that the bequest people can make is an excellent way, I think, that we've learned when we look at what our assets currently are, that people can give for the long term, right? Mm-hmm. And know that they can give to help make, you know, ACB go another 60 years through their bequest and things like that. So there are other areas in fundraising we really want to explore major donor outreach to really help us achieve our strategic goals towards scaling up. Mr. Treasurer. Well, and, and of course, as usual, my, my thoughts on this relates around money. Uh, my thing is to see us continue to have clean audits. Uh, we're, we're right where we need to be. We're right in the sweet spot. We're not spending too much on administration. Uh, 
we are growing in ways that will help people support us. Uh, I cannot stress enough the importance of the legacy endowment. Uh, it, people see now that they're not, their money's not coming in one door and going out the other uh, like it was in the past. And, and that was not a fault of ACB. It was just a part of the time. But uh, my goal is to see that we're, we're maintaining staff and being able to add to it. And uh, we, we have an excellent, uh, the one thing that we have done is we've made excellent hirings in our staff. If you talk to our people, uh, you know, they're your people. Uh, when I say ours, I'm talking about HCB. <laughs> yeah. They're just wonderful people and they're, they're working. So they don't hear enough from me because, frankly, I think if Tony's out working, he don't need to hear from David. You know, we, we talk. But the other thing that we're doing to kind of guide us toward the future is the uh, committees that we have now, the steering committees that are actually over the different committees. They actually work toward uh, their own individual areas and it might cover two or three committees. You know, you've got the convention steering committee, but you still have your convention committee who handles Mm -hmm. the operation of the convention. It's just other things that have to be done can all now be lumped into one area and, and be far more productive. So I, I really look, uh, you know, at the goals of ACB, I think ACB will continue to grow, and that's my goal to see that. My goal would be, uh, if I'm reelected as treasurer this year, that this uh, $5 million that we have right now would be $8 million by the time I leave office in two years. And uh, I, I think that uh, – you know, that's where we need to go. If we get if we get ten million dollars, then we're going to really be making a substantial uh, amount of impact on on the income side of the budget, because in order for a budget to be passed, you know, there's there's your expense side and then there's your income side. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about growing the budget, uh, it has to grow in two directions. So, it does. <laughs> you know, we, we just want to make it happen, Paul. Mr. Rick. Yes, sir. We got John McCann. Oh, man, there from Arizona. Hello, sir. Good, good, Paul. Great show as always. You know, um, this has been very enlightening and I appreciate everything that's been said. Uh, I do want to ask one question, though, that may come across as like, well, you know, the Titanic was doing fine until someone didn't see an iceberg. Uh, My question is this. And we've had a great expansion of staff uh, in the past year, maybe year and a half, but I would, I would even say year. That is certainly very welcome, but I am concerned about how much of that is supported by soft money. Um, you did mention, you know, Colby's position. I don't necessarily expect you to get into specifics, mm-hmm. but it, that's what worries me a little bit. And because and a lot of what's being done now because of this expansion urgently needs to continue to be done. So the footing for it, the financial footing on which it rests is kind of a, uh, a flashing light that shows up on my allegorical dashboard. Thank you, Mr. McCann. Um, uh, who wants John, to you know, David. Uh, I, yep. I'm conservative. So I asked this very question when we did the budget, uh, but we're growing the income of the budget. And, you know, the legacy endowment, this gives us, us some time if we had a lean year. 
uh, to make sure that continues to happen and, and make adjustments. And with the staff we got now, uh, you know, I think one bad year, we would make the adjustments within that year and, and move forward. I'm, um, we, we've got some, some positions that are grant supported, you know, and, and those are always iffy, but we believe that we would have the money to support them after the grant ran out. But we, you know, we've got a grant writer that's doing a great job. They're continuously growing. I think we can support these positions or I wouldn't have voted for the budget. Excellent. Uh, oh, and one other thing, the, yeah. uh, the, the last strategic plan that we had that, uh, I know a lot of people's ready. These positions weren't just dreamed up this last year. Uh, we we worked on those things 2016, 2017. So, uh, you know, there may be a surprise to some that, that weren't familiar with the strategic plan, but we did map out and plan for them. So we, we're not we're not being irresponsible, you know. No, I, I totally get that. I mean, I was on the board during the years you cite, and that was always the long-range plan, and I could not right. be happier to see, you know, it brought to fruition. I was just concerned about the funding streams. And I guess right. one last comment, since it's been raised about people – making you know, complaints, if you will, about, you know, how the conventions turned into fundraisers. And frankly, this is a point that I made and I stressed when you know, in all of the elections, 2011, 2012, 15 and 17. OK, and um, so I'd say it even if I was running for office, which I don't see myself doing at this point. But, you know, to those who would make those comments, uh, they say if you, you know, want more program content and less uh, advertising, then pony up. I'm glad to see that folks are apparently doing that, really voting with their dollars, that donations are up. I am glad to see that. But um, I think that message needs to be unabashedly uh, proclaimed to some in our overall constituency who think that these things just come down from the sky magically somehow. Well, I've got two quick comments, but Dan, I don't know if you want to, I don't want to no, usurp no, go, any time no, no, from you. Go ahead, Tony. Go ahead, Tony. Yeah, two, two things is one, you know, we're celebrating our 60th anniversary this year, John. And I think the difference between us and, and the Titanic is that we're not on a maiden voyage, right? We've weathered <laughs> many recessions in the organization. We, we were hoping um, that 60th you know, would have been celebrated here in Arizona. Exactly. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm, I'm missing, I'm missing downtown there. In summer, yeah. So, <laughs> but no, um, we, uh, you know, I, I think in a lot of sense, yeah, we, we are making sure that we've got iceberg spotters, right? In as much to say that the, the, the strategic plan is the way that we're building staff now, myself included, because I know I was one of those folks that came back on, but we just brought on a communications manager who works under me who's been fantastic. Uh, we got an $833,000 donation from Verizon for advertising money that we're spending wow. out. Right out of the that. gate. She is right out of the gate. She is on the phone with Verizon with their crew today an expert in online advertising. I mean, Jennifer has just been fantastic. Um, and all things, I know Dan, she had a chance to, to catch up with Dan, I think a couple hours today, but mm -hmm. just alone right out of the gate, the, the way that we're, we're, we're bringing on people to know that our main goal now is to, to grow in a way that we can grow towards people that can, can give to us. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not just targeting our members, but we're, we're reaching out to people on a larger scale uh, towards their own charity because uh, you know, they're, we're competing out there. So I think strategically the way that we're growing staff is right because we know we need additional advocacy staff. We know we need additional program staff, but we need to make sure that the staff coming on now, for instance, Jennifer, 
are going to be the type of staff that can help us grow on the revenue side as well. We right. grow our brand, we grow our image, but then we also in turn grow opportunities for bringing in income. So I think in that sense, and in terms of the convention, uh, you know, we're going to have 135 potentially breakout sessions. And, and in addition to 35 hours of general session content, uh, I'm not going to be talking for all those hours. I guarantee you. I'll, you, you might hear me every now and then during some of the half hours, but, there you go. You know, and the and the auction is fun, but for those that think it's become a, an opportunity of just us banging the the, the tin cup, uh, I don't think you're really engaging in the convention. So come to the convention this year virtually and participate because there are hundreds of hours of opportunities for you to engage this year at our convention. So, well, just so that I'm I'm clear, I. I pretty much know everybody on the board uh, served <laughs> from 2012 to 2019 and never doubted that the board was proceeding in a responsible, well thought out uh, uh, way. I never doubted that, but I'm, I'm glad to see that elucidated more than uh-huh. it seemed to have been previously. And, and I'm yeah. again, one of these wonks. And, and I appreciate this, Mr. President. Yeah. yeah and, go ahead. And, and, and John, you're exactly, you know, this is what we've tried to do, you know, so example is in 2027, 2018, we had a budget of about 1.5 million, kind of maybe 1.5 and a half million, something like that, you know, 55.55. And we really said, you know, hey, we need to raise an additional $300,000. And as we move up that curve where we can get to an annualized budget of 1.8, here's the three positions we need. We need a membership services coordinator. We need a full-time development director. And we need a marketing uh, communications manager. And I think uh, that's what I'm really proud of us as a board. We've kind of stuck to our knitting there. So as as the funding raised, we brought in Cindy. And then as we got additional funding that we could feel good about, we brought in Tony. And then this year, as we got official additional funding, we brought in Jennifer. Uh, Colby was kind of a, you know, a position that, that was really generated out of the just overwhelming support of our community events. And you're right. It was, it was a grant, but now you're already seeing that our community through the, the telethons and and all this, they're they're raising money to support that position into the future, which I'm very very excited about. Um, and then on the audio description side, that was really kind of combining a a contractor position with a, a reoccurring grant that we're getting from Microsoft to allow us to leverage some additional audio description resources as well as grant resources with Jolin. Uh, including also a, a reoccurring grant that we're getting from Google uh, to help with the National Park Service. So I, I hope that we're, we're, we're being diligent. There's always, you, you always have a few sleepless nights because, you know, that money on paper doesn't make it, it come, you know, into fruition in, in reality. And then, and then the other thing there is you never know. We budget for no return our, on our investment portfolio. And we know year in and year out, the market's going to grow. But in any given year, we could have a setback there, right? So that's another area we budget for no appreciation of our investments. But reality is year in and year out, we think that's a conservative approach that, you know, the history of the hundred years of the stock market, it typically 
you know, you can't find a, a five-year period where the market's not worth more now than it was five years earlier. And so, uh, although there's occasionally a down year, we believe that conservative approach puts us in a good position. Yeah, if I could just jump in here, guys, and just offer a couple couple statements. Yeah, sure, you know, Rick. You know, there's been a lot of talk about money, a lot of talk mm-hmm. about adding growing staff, you mm-hmm. know, and that's all very valid. But what we got to keep in mind is you grow staff to to grow the programs. Exactly. Right. 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 You know this this is all about bringing value back to to the membership. And if we get to the point where we're adding staff and we're not adding value to the programs, right. then we're then we're doing something very fundamental fundamentally wrong okay so 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 i think part of our messaging you know we we talk about money and people hear us talking about money let's talk about the programs okay and it's and it's the programs community is a very important part of the programs but we got a ton of other stuff out there too okay so so let's just you know cast our net wide and make sure Mm -hmm. that there's something in there for everybody okay excellent Excellent point, sir. Mm-hmm. Do we have another hand? Yeah, we sure do. Terry, please. Terry. Good evening, everyone. Hey, hi, Terry. Um, hi. This is a great program. I think you've done a great service by doing this show tonight um, because I think there's an awful lot that's unintentionally kind of behind closed doors that people need to know a little bit more about. And I think you've brought a lot of that forward tonight and i think that's wonderful um i absolutely totally agree with rick on uh that we do need to be dealing um maybe a little bit more with programs um i I just had somebody on the phone with me this afternoon for half hour screaming at me why doesn't acb have somebody that's just doing uh pedestrian safety Uh, you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um you know, that I think that there, that's an area that I think we do need to, to do some more work in. But w- my reason for my question to call tonight is I have one question for you. I think it's probably David. Um, can you tell me what was our expenses? What was the convention expense in 2018 and in 2020? Pro, let's say... The 2020 was down, but we did have some expenses for, we had to put a lot of this technology in place that we just didn't have. Um, you know, so it, it was high. I cannot remember the exact number, but it, it was over $100,000. Uh, 2019, when we met in person last, uh, $200,000. Plus, you know, because I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, ACB's portion and not the uh, special interest affiliates portion. So it, it was probably for a virtual convention. It might be considered high, but what we wanted to do was give people the ability to participate. Now, how that will work out in the future when we go to uh, more or less an, a combo convention, how those expenses will work out. I'm assuming that everybody will get to work after this year's convention. I like to take Janet Dickelman's approach here. You know, we don't do anything about Omaha until we're through in July. Right. Uh, so 
Um, the reason I, I think it was significantly lower, but it it could have been even lower had we not had to put the technology in place. Yeah, in the, the uh, right, and the reason that yeah. the reason that I'm asking the question mm. is maybe I'm looking at this maybe ultra conservatively. Mm. We've had such an increase in membership donations through such things as the auction and the telethons and such. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how much of that is a one-time flash in the pan because people are not spending that money to go to convention. I I don't think so. I I think what you're going to find when we go to a combo convention that we're going to end up. Now you're going to have some, I've got a friend in New York. I know she said she spent her travel money at the auction. But, uh-huh. you, you know, I realistically, <laughs> I think that that people are that are not normally able to attend are still going to participate. And I think they will participate not only with their presence, but with their with their money to fund the things that they like. I think what ACB has that a lot of groups don't. We, we try to tailor to everybody. So you've got an auction. You've got the ability to give through MMAs. And, and the raffle and things like that. By the way, the raffle was the biggest in history last year and would have probably been a little bigger, but we ran out of tickets. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, we don't know. Uh, we, we, we're making educated guesses, and I'm just hoping that, uh, that people find now that they're getting a value for it and they love to participate and that we're going to be able to give them that ability so they can continue to do so. So I'm going to step in and ask you three guys a question um, that really came up at the beginning of the program. When we described the, the, the three elements of the budget, we had, uh, we had uh, expenditures and we had revenue, and then we had a separate budget for the convention. Mm-hmm. So my question is, why a separate convention budget? Yeah, uh, well, oh. it's, yeah. <laughs> it, um, well, that, as you know, Paul, you've been part of the organization for a while. <laughs> There's been a whole uh, legacy uh, of the convention that the, the, the convention is, is now, I would say, a lot more integrated into the ACB board than maybe it was before. You know, there was a time when it it had its own bank account and gosh, everything else. But, you know, now um, we have a, and the convention committee kind of ran the convention and they, you you know, at one point in time, when I first came on the board, you you got two numbers from the convention uh, committee. You got, here's our expected revenue, here's our expected expenses approved. (laughs) And here's how much it. we're here's it, how much it, we're gonna lose. Here's how much we're gonna <laughs> net or lose or gain or you know whatever that yeah. was. That, that, and so you know I think the ACB board through Kim's administration and then and then forward, we really worked to uh, with the convention committee to to kind of develop a much more detail explanation of the expenses and the revenue. And uh, I think that's been very valuable. Um, You know, what we've learned over time is, you know, 
what our members want from a convention now is different than they maybe what their expectations were 20 years ago, especially like in the, you know, the audio visual area. And, and so you see that that budget has, has grown significantly over the years. Uh, we, of course, sponsorships have, have added a lot on the revenue side and, it's been really, I think, fascinating for the convention committee to come and lay out, here's, you know, here's all our expense items and here's our revenue items. And even things that maybe people don't really realize, but, you know, like tours and all that, there's a lot of expenses with tours, you know, uh, you know, you have to rent buses and you have to have liability insurance and you have to have all of these things. And then, you know, of course, the goal is then that you set the ticket prices for the tours so that you, you know, you're, you're able to, to recoup the money for, you know, for the tours and the buses and, and all of those expenditures. So to see that kind of laid out as well as the money that comes in for all the special interest affiliates and the committees and, and their activities throughout the convention. Uh, right. The other thing we find is hotel expenses are just, going through the roof right so Mm -hmm. you know things like um you know until you serve on one of these boards or work as an event coordinator you don't realize that a dozen cookies cost 65 dollars or a gallon of coffee is 68 dollars or you know uh, a plated breakfast is 27.50 for eggs for some scrambled eggs and sausage and a cup of coffee you know and so per plate per plate per plate Yeah. yeah Per plate. So, so these hotels, you know, they, they're really smart entities. And so they're, you know, there's a lot of uh, expense tied, you know, there, there's a lot of right. profit centers for hotels anymore. It's not just the room rate, you know, and, uh, and, and so it's been fascinating to, to really, I think, go through the exercise of really detailing that out. And, um, you know, and, and I have to admit, at the end of the day, you know, the convention, uh, you know, brings in, you know, about about 12 percent uh, net, about 12 percent, 13 percent of ACB's budget. So it's it is a an important uh, vehicle for fundraising for for ACB. Yeah. And, and, and only four percent less than than all of the money that members contribute. Th- exactly right. It's exactly mm-hmm. right. and, and yeah. the other thing, though, to go back to your question about it being a separate budget, it's also a management issue. It's far easier to manage mm-hmm. for uh, and, and, you know, Janet and Nancy uh, and team does a great job on managing that. And it's broke out. They don't have to go in and look at what Braille Forum cost is to get down to their line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just a far greater management tool. Yep. And, you know, Paul, that has evolved. If you recall back. Uh, during mine and your youth, when the states actually bid it on conventions, the the budget for convention was even different then. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, very much so. And, and I would argue that that in fact it isn't any longer the sole responsibility of the convention committee um, to to operate the convention. I mean, there are steering committees and 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 guys like Tony um, who have a significant role to play in the convention now that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. Well, too, you got, uh, uh, you know, your special interest affiliates. Um, they play a pretty good-sized role in our convention. 
Well, they and always had those. So, so. Yeah, but, but yeah. we worked with them, you know, to uh, there again, audio, visual, that kind of thing that we didn't have in the past. Uh, oh, I see, I see what now. you're saying. Fair uh, enough. So it, it's, it's just grown. And, un, uh, and fortunately, really, we're, we're able to keep track of it by having this separate budget. And it fits into the budget. And, and it keeps everything clean for the auditors, but it does help from a management perspective. Is, is it fair to say, guys, that there's more accountability and more transparency between the convention and, no, and, and, the, and the board than there was in the past? Sure. I, I believe sure. so. Yeah. I, 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 I think I, I that's so. that's a big part of I think, actually, actually, it's it's certainly the it's certainly the biggest part from from the perspective of of old people like me. Uh, you know, the, the the convention was a deep, dark secret um, that 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 really the board didn't know very much about, even though we were supposed to be responsible for overseeing all of the expenditures. We really, for a long time in ACB's history, had no notion of what was being spent on. Yeah, I think that that was the essence of why you asked the question, right, Paul? Well, it. Uh, I think. I think it was t- to make clear to folks who are listening that um, the fact that we now have a separate convention accounting is an, is an indication that an area that was shrouded in mystery is now far more transparent than it was. Yep. And the yeah. other one that we break out much more, the breakout now is the thrift stores and, and yes. the expenses and the revenue is associated with them. And the board gets a very transparent view of that as well. Right. So, and, right. And, if I can just, yeah. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. In both of those, kind of the way we have our statements um, structured, they kind of both fall below, you know, just the, the basic. Uh, income and expense operating, you know, mm-hmm. the day-to-day operations, those sit below those as two kind of special areas, which I think really highlights them. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an indication of how, how much things have changed that I, I, I guess the two, the two thrift stores together are generating about 200,000 worth of net income a year. Yeah. A little over three yeah. during a normal year, a little about three fifty, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, yeah. We've this had years where they've done three fifty, and then last year <laughs> we had we we had a year where we were under a hundred thousand. But luckily, we thanks to Tony and Nancy and their hard work, we qualified for a PPP loan that right. turned into a grant that really helped us in that area last year. At, at, at the beginning of my administration, um, thrift stores were were really the backbone of ACB's budget and we're raising a million dollars. And and that goes back to Paul, to the question that John asked, and, and I'm glad he asked it because it, it gives us the idea uh, the ability to show how ACB adapts. You're correct. Uh, I remember the first year I was on board uh, was 900 and something thousand. I was just yeah. lowered by the amount of, of profit we took in from the ACB stores. Yes. Unfortunately, times changed. And as oh, we lost stores, right. um, we did adapt, you know, we, we adapted and we adapted quite well. Now, yes, we lost employees, but they were ACB thrift store employees and not ACB employees. Uh, so, you know, we've adapted and, and I think we will continue to do so just in a better position now than then, uh, even yeah. though we just weren't able to put aside money. And that's the big difference today from then. Mr. Rick. 
Yeah, there's somebody called Colin User One. <laughs> call Hello. <Ed> user. <laughs> Hi, Colin User One. Hi, I'm I'm Stacy. Um, Hi, Stacy. I have a few questions. Hi. Sure. Um, if the about donations, I mean, I don't know if you call it donations when people become a member, the other dues that they pay. I'm fairly new to ACB. But we but, don't call um, we don't we, call those donations, but we, we we're certainly glad to have new members. Well, I'm sorry. Um, so, oh. like, say someone can afford, if one person can uh, pay more than another person, not to say that that person's less important, but if someone becomes a lifetime member and say they don't want to be noticed because they don't want the, you know, notice about it, can they uh -huh. stay private about it and not be noticed? So yeah, absolutely. Some people are, are like that. Is that the Tony question, I think? Okay. <laughs> uh, Mr. Tony. I mean, we, we, we very much respect our individual donors. And usually when we do the thing at the convention, it's sort of a, um, you know, sometimes there might be a lifetime membership that's a gift and people want it to be a surprise or if someone wanted to donate, but, you know, we kind of vet that through, but we have a number of people that have given uh, over the years that are really remaining anonymous and legally we're not able to disclose donors names without their permission um, as, as a nonprofit. It's a 501 C three. So, you know, we, we just don't willy nilly just freely release names of people unless we give them permission to do so in that case. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Can you so. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Can you said that if somebody comes to live membership, then you honor them. So I didn't realize that all went into it. So, okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. not trying to offend anybody. Yep. Well, instead, <laughs> no, not at all. Not thank thank all, you Stacey. for becoming a member. We appreciate yeah, that. Welcome. Yes. We're, and, we're and, excited and, to hear your voice. And I'm excited thank that you. you're tuning in, Miss Stacy. Thank you for, for joining us. <laughs> thank you. Mr. Rick. Yeah, there's an area code 407 number. It's an Orlando guys. person. Hello. Hello. It's Leslie. How are you guys? Hey, Leslie. Good. Hey, good, good, good. Hey, so I just want to kind of comment um, about auctions a little bit. Um, Terry... Terry's call, you know, her re response and comment and, and, um, David kind of, kind of piggybacked on it, which was great. Um, I just want to say, you know, the community has really, really stepped up. I mean, both auctions last year being the chair of both of them just, you know, amazed me. I mean, I'm still in awe of them, you know, what we did. And I just can't say enough to Dan and Eric and Cindy for, getting the community going and keeping the community going. And I think like what David says, fundraising is interesting. You're going to give to whatever you want to give to. We're not, we're not holding anything to your head and saying you have to give to the auction. You have to, you know, donate, you know, but it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I think people are willing to give now because of the community and the love that I feel through the community doing my calls every week. Um, you know, and doing the auctions and just meeting so many new people. So I just wanted to yeah. kind of chime in on that and, you know, tell I think, people. Just I think to you raise a really work. good point, Leslie, in terms of in, in terms of the number of people who truly fell in love with ACB last year and, mm -hmm. and, and who regarded us as as a lifesaver for them. Um, I think you so, know, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think. I don't think that's that's ever happened in in the past of of any organization of the blind, and I and I think that's uh, that's uh, has made a huge difference to the way we're regarded by particularly our new members who found us during the pandemic. 
Oh, I think so, too. And I've met so many new people myself, Paul, which is interesting, yep. you know, just on my calls. So I think it's going to be a great love fest when we all get together in Omaha. So <laughs> I think I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. Keep up and, the and, great work. I'm glad you're feeling good. So And we may be allowed and we may be allowed to hug by then, Miss Leslie. <laughs> we might be able to in twenty twenty two. Well we open we we need to set up a, a world's record for the largest hug. Ooh, that's like right. That. Oh, yeah. yeah. It could I be like a good it. fundraiser. I'm thinking I'm thinking fundraiser. Cindy <laughs> <laughs> oh. and Leslie could have a hugging booth. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Some, somehow that, that comment didn't surprise me. But anyway. <laughs> all right, guys. Keep up the great work, all of you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Leslie. See you, Leslie. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Rick? Yeah, phone number ending in 8219, please. Hi, this is Peter Heidi. Um, Hi, Peter. I, I, I had to leave you for just a couple of minutes, but that um, I, when Dan was talking about uh, the quarterly rocks um, mm-hmm. that yes. you need to achieve, did you did, did you define that anymore? Or and uh, what I wanted to know is, does rocks is rocks an acronym for something, or is it just the uh, the the mountain that you're trying to climb and the and the pieces of it? Yeah, Mr. Uh, Dan. Sure. Well, it's really part of the uh, traction uh, methodology for the entrepreneurial operating system. It's a methodology was uh, created by a gentleman named Gino Wickman, and you can you can even uh, his book is called Traction. It's a very small book, and it's got like ten small chapters. It's not too hard to read. Um, but really, part of that, you know, traction really kind of real quickly goes through through six different pieces. And the first piece is that you kind of, as Paul alluded to earlier, you really have to set your vision or your strategic plan. So you you create your 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 vision, and then once you kind of have your vision, then the next piece is really your people, which David's talked a lot about tonight with your staff. So, you, what are your set of of core values and do you have the right person in the right seat with the right with with the right capabilities? You know that they're really, uh, you know, so right person in right seat, and you kind of evaluate, you know, your staff and your committee chairs. Do you have the right person in the right seat for us? And then next is kind of a little bit of what Tony was talking about related to programs and Rick is. You know what? What is your value add? What are the programs that you're doing, and do you have the the data, the 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 methodology, the measurement to measure how you're performing against your uh, against your program objectives? And as part of that, then you you form uh, through those kind of first three layers. You then form uh, you know your your one, three, and five year strategic plan and then out of that each quarter you set your your quarterly goals or objectives which they call rocks and i think because you're i i don't know why they use the term rock it's not an acronym for anything but um and then underneath those rocks you have your milestones so what are the different kind of major steps you need to do to get those rocks done in that quarter
order. And then that kind of blows down into a set of to-dos or action items that people are assigned. And then the other part of that that we kind of review each week is what we call IDS, which is Identify, Discuss, and Solve. So as you go through your rocks and your to-dos, if you're not on track, you know, with traction, then they fall down into something that you need to discuss. And the whole idea of the the weekly, what they call L10 or level 10 meeting is that you're going to spend at least 45 minutes of that 90 minutes uh, talking about issues and discussing them and solving them. So you prioritize them, you go through a good discussion with your leadership team that then will lead hopefully to some to do's or follow up meetings that have to be held. But the idea is to solve the problem and not just let it linger. And in ACB, we've always had this ability to just kind of keep talking about things, kind of that circular conversation. I know if any of us been in committee meetings, it just kind of goes on and on. So that's the idea. And then you continue to measure and accountability. And then the next piece of it is really process. And what are your processes and documenting your processes and, and continuing to improve those. And then ultimately it's track. So that's the sixth level or piece of the pie. And that is at the end of the wheel, you're kind of developing traction. And then each year you're going through that process again, continuing to set your strategic plan, your goals and, and moving the organization forward. And, and what we found in a very nice way it's really holding us uh, accountable uh, at a level that we have not been held accountable and we're holding each other accountable. And, yeah. and so it's, it's been very powerful. It's really led to some very good discussions. Uh, we're now rolling out the methodology to the different steering committees uh, and, and they're finding it, I think of value. So it's a work in progress, um, but it, it seems it, there's lots of methodologies out there, but this one was fairly simple and one we could get our arms around. And uh, I'd love to hear from Tony and David, but I think it, I think it is adding value. Yeah. Well, thanks. It, def- I, I had it definitely helps. Sort of resources and opportunities, but I couldn't get the CKS, but. That's, oh yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's in that sense of, Climbing the mountain, you know. Yeah, if, I think that's I, what it is. I'm not yeah. a mountain climber, but if I'm at El Capitan, I would have a heart attack. But if you take it rock <laughs> by rock, you'd be yep. surprised that, you know, that five-year stretch goals uh, become much more realistic. And, and for someone like me that's in charge of raising the money, it really helps calm the panic attacks late at night. So, yeah. Okay. yeah the the only thing I could add to that would be okay. that uh, it, it has given us focus for the directions that we want to take. Uh, and if it helps keep people focused, I know when you discuss the problems that you have, the problems are out there now. If you have a problem, we discuss it and we do what we can to solve it. That doesn't mean we actually solve it, but we do what we can. And it's not a vicious circle where we're talking about this project today. And then a year from today, we're, we're starting back over where we were last year. So I think it's gave us direction, you know, and, and a good solid foundation for moving forward and peter and and listeners this book is available on bookshare um mm-hmm. so so it's it if you are a bookshare member you can easily download it and read it um and it makes for good reading um and and it's it's an interesting process it's a hard process i think 
um, to operate. And and oh. I, I'm I'm impressed that ACB is trying it because it is not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, the only correction I'd make is we're not trying it; we're doing it. That's that, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. And, and, thank, and thank you for your work. Yes, <laughs> um, Mr. Rick. Yeah, Maria Christic, please. Hey, Maria. Maria. Hi, everyone. The, the, the treasurer of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Katie, as she's known in the, uh, in, in yes. the voting task force. It, That's indeed. Right. Yeah, because we had two Marias, so <laughs> we had to tell each other apart. <laughs> um, so thanks for doing this, everyone. I think it's a really important topic for sure, and it's um, great to get the, the perspectives and the transparency and such around it. And I'm curious... Um, about the um, investment uh, guidelines a bit. I think it's uh, great, as you've mentioned, that uh, those have been doing well. And, you know, last year, the beginning of the pandemic, when the market was very volatile, and then, of course, the, the investments reflected that, but then they, they came back in such substantially. And so um, I'm just curious, um, in terms of the investment, uh, you know, guidelines that, uh, that you follow, is it based on an allocation of certain percentage ranges based on asset type or is it based on a return and um do you have a uh, i assume you have a like a brokerage firm or an investment manager that you work with to help uh, manage those in addition to nancy and the uh and the investment committee we we have a great group that that handle our funds for us mm-hmm. they do a good job uh, to answer your question though we do have guidelines um mm-hmm. and we actually opened them up and they made us more money uh, we gave them a little more leadway, but now all of our funds are not, uh, the legacy endowment, for example, uh, is a little more, uh, could, could be a little more volatile, not enough to hurt us, but enough that we have a little more leadway for growth. Um, we are a bit more conservative with the scholarship and with the, uh, board reserves, but, um, I, those, those policies are not confidential. So if you'd like to see them, um, Nancy Becker would be, I'm sure, would be glad to send you a copy of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, and, I, and, and, we, and Marie, we really have, we have kind of like, uh, as David said, we have three different risk profiles. So <laughs> the 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 riskiest is the is the legacy uh, in, endowment because that money is not we're not pulling that money out sure. for for you know in case of a, a rainy day you know sure it, sure yeah it, it's it, the longer it, term it, it, yeah. it's it's much longer term scholarship is more uh, uh, you know there there none of them are what i would call real risky cuz we're just acb no. and we're not real risky you know uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the the scholarship is kind of i would say the middle of that tier and then the board reserve uh, we've we've uh, set up the the uh, most conservative of the risk profiles, and then we've get, given our investment managers the ability, even at a particular point in time, some leverage there where they can move money. There's uh-huh. ranges, so like for the board reserve, you can have, I believe, it's between. 30 and 50% in, uh, in, in bonds and, and cash and mutual funds, right? Because we need to get to that money. As we learned this sure. year in bad times when the market is right. not doing well is when we need that money. And so, so they have a leverage that, that that range would be, what is, I think, David, 30 to 50% in those kind yeah. of more conservative funds. And so, uh, so they manage that based on their expertise and the environment. And then we meet with them quarterly and kind of review their, 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 their performance, our, our, our performance. That's right. Sure. Yeah. 
And, and to explain, if you don't know, the board reserve fund is not necessarily our day-to-day expense where we keep all the money because naturally we have income coming in. Mm-hmm. But we, we have um, checking accounts. Yeah. We, yeah. we do have the board reserve fund is to, there's different times of the year that we don't have enough coming through right. at that particular time. And so at that time, we will move it out of the board reserve. And then when it picks back up, we put it back. And we try to keep that at a year. And within the next couple of years, I think our guidelines that we set goes to two years. And, and yep. we have the board has to approve any expenditure from the board reserve fund. So you'll hear us occasionally in a board meeting approving, you know, uh, uh, our CFO, Nancy Marks Becker, to take up to, say, $150,000 out of the board reserve. But she, yes. she can't move until the board gives her authority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have seen those. And I think I've also seen the, like you said, the references uh, to move funds from reserve to operating and such as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so presumably when you're saying you move it back, so that's an annual process. So any surplus is, is shifted back? Is that? No, it's, it's done on income. Uh-huh. Um, we, we have a, a process that we go through mm-hmm. uh, sim- similar to the uh, bequest that we get. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a process that we go through. If, so, but, David, if, if I'm correct, um, the last year's budget was actually a deficit budget. But by the end of the year, sufficient funds had come in that you were able to replace en- the, any withdrawals and ended up with a, a, a better than uh, a better than balanced budget. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. Over, over a hundred thousand. I can't remember. I think the it was uh, two. It was two forty something. I think was the final net. Yeah, a positive yeah. for last year. Yeah, yeah. And, of course and the market thing, market gained ground at the end of the year last it year. It did. And, yeah, and, yeah. And and two, like if if we're given a bequest, and we know we're getting it, say this year, but we don't get it till next year, it goes back into this year's budget. That's some kind of accounting right. thing the, that we the, learned. The income has to be recognized on the year it's declared, even if we haven't gotten the cash yet. We have right. to recognize it as income. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah, like a constructive receipt type thing or something. All right. Well, thanks yeah. very much. All right. You're thank welcome. you for being a good, good Rick, let's take one more call if we can. No, we're all set at this end, Paul. Excellent. So we have just a few minutes left. Um, Final thoughts on the budgeting process, Mr. Tony? We haven't heard from you for a while. Satisfied with it? Anything you'd like to see change? You know, I think the main thing is I just want to be able again to tell everybody listening, you know, thank you for trusting in the organization and and in the board and the direction and the staff. Um, Because last year was, was a year that's for the history books, right? Um, yes. Going back to sort of Maria's questions, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the trust of the organizations, you know, a key part of donation and, and donor engagement is stewardship, right? And making sure that every dollar given is given and that we are trying to be as transparent as we can and that we're also using that money as best as we can. And in terms of the investments alone, you know, our investment firm that we use, uh, that Nancy works very closely with, um, w- was outstanding and the policies put in place by the board. Uh, really helped us weather a year where a lot of nonprofits folded last year or will fold this year. 
I yep. mean, it, it was a significant year um, in the nonprofit world. It's going to have repercussions for decades for a lot of nonprofits and foundations. We have been so fortunate with the overwhelming amount of support and recognition and the recognition of the value um, that has really led to, you know, what some might say is a renaissance, but time will tell. But definitely a year of, of great opportunity and great growth uh, during a year that could have really not turned out that way at all. So, you know, I, I think to thank the members by entrusting the board of directors to create these policies. Uh, we talked about it in our annual report last year about building for the future. And our annual report theme this year is about weathering the storm and, and sort of, uh, you know, a ship out at sea uh, kind of image we're going for. And that we, we had a solid sound, uh, you know, core uh, on the ship, uh, and it really helped us weather this, this, what was a pretty heavy storm. So that wouldn't have been possible without the trust that the members have given to the staff and the board of directors. So I just want to say as, as a development director, thank you to everybody for that trust. David, 45 seconds or so. Okay. I want to touch on deep, dark secrets. We don't have any, um, if we've got policies and you want to know about them, let somebody know and they'll send you these policies are not private. Um, now, people's salaries, that kind of thing, that's confidential, is confidential. It, it would be in any organization or any business. But, but last, the final message I want to leave with you, the membership tonight, is take pride in what you've done. You've built a great organization, and we'll continue to move forward. But we move forward as a unit, not as individuals. So thank you for all you've done for us and for, our, you know, for us as ACB, and just help keep moving. Dan, 40 seconds or so. Sure. Uh, real quick, I'll just say, again, echoing what David said, I'm so proud of ACB, our board, our membership. You know, at the darkest times last March, when we had to decide, are we going to have a convention? Can we get out of our existing contract? Our board stepped up and unanimously voted that we were going to move forward, not let the pandemic define us. We were going to have a convention, the best one we, we could put together virtually. We were able to get out of the contract, hold a wonderful convention, have memberships participate in the way they never have before. And I think it's brought us closer together. And I just could not be more proud of what this organization has been able to accomplish. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Tuesday Topics and thanks to my three guests. Good night.